So um, we're doing a series on Genesis. So this is not a typical thing to preach about on Mothering Sunday, but it's part of a series on Genesis. And we've got to this shocking story of Cain and Abel. And um, uh, yeah, I'm just going to (laughs) pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're here with us, you love us, you know us, you see us collectively, but you see us individually. And you know exactly what it is each one of us needs to hear from you this morning. So please, Lord, would you give us open hearts? Will you open our ears to hear you? Will you open our eyes to see what you want us to see and give us hearts to respond to those things the Holy Spirit shows us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so I'm going to encourage you to find a blue Bible and turn to page six because we're going to be looking through this passage verse by verse and the verses won't be going up. So it's page six and hopefully we can work our way through it little by little and see what on earth this is all about. So three weeks ago, Tom preached superbly on the fall when Adam and Eve um, disobeyed God and that shifted everything for all of us. Um, And Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden and that they had hard toil. So we don't know how many years later this story is, but the closest this talk gets to a Mothering Sunday talk is that Eve had a baby and she became the first mother. So there we go, Mothering Sunday. Um, She has two sons and they grow up and one of them becomes, they both become farmers, one of them tills the soil and one of them looks after uh, flocks. And they both bring an offering to God. And Eve is still very aware of God. Look in verse 1, she says, With the help of God I've brought forth a man. She's still very aware of God and his power, even though their relationship with God has significantly altered since disobedience. She's still honoring to God. And she's thankful to God for her children. So Cain and Abel bring their offerings. Now it's easy to think that Cain's Cain's offering was not as pleasing to God because it wasn't an animal. There wasn't sacrifice involved. There wasn't bloodshed. As we know, life is in the blood. And actually, later on in the book of, in, in, in the law, we see that the life is in the blood. And so there's atonement for our sin in the blood, which is why there was animal sacrifice. And finally, Jesus' blood. He was the last sacrifice. But actually, that's not why Cain's offering was not acceptable. Because also in the law, there are grain offerings. There are grain offerings and there are animal offerings. There are different sacrifices. So both, of, both kinds of offering are acceptable to God. So what's going on here? Let's look more closely at verses 3 to 5. Let's read into it a little bit. And let's look at the words that are used. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Abel brought an offering from the firstborn of the flock. Cain grabbed any old bunch of veg. Abel brought the firstborn of the flock. Now, how many of you here have watched Clarkson's Farm on Netflix? <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson, I, you know, his language is dreadful. He's, he's, you know, a bit of a shocker, and I didn't really ever get into Top Gear. 
but I've really enjoyed Clarkson's Farm from the point of view of it has really given me an insight into farming and how incredibly difficult farming is and how vulnerable farmers are from year to year, depending on the weather and the harvests. And, you know, might have a good year, they might have a bad year, just how weather can wipe out a whole flock, thousands, uh, whole crops. It can wipe out, you know, disease can kill animals and whole herds have to be slaughtered to stop the f- spread of disease. So farming is very vulnerable. And Jeremy Clarkson, whatever you think of him, has done farmers all over this nation an incredible service with that, with that series, I have to say. So what is the significance of Abel bringing the first, the first offering, the first What is the significance of the first fruits, the first crops, the first baby animals that are born? Well, as soon as the first fruits would appear, over the centuries, the grain that came up first would be collected and stored away to be the seed for the following year. The first of the crops represented their security for the following year. So when Abel, and the same with the lambs, You know, maybe there'd be hailstones. These first little lambs were born, and maybe there'd be hail, and all the flocks would be wiped out, and they would be the only, only animals that would provide the future. So the significance of him bringing the first was Abel was declaring trust in God for the future. He wasn't self-protecting and keeping most of it for himself and then giving God a bit extra. That's the significance, is that Abel demonstrated faith and trust in God to provide for him. He's saying, Lord, I trust you with my future. And this is the principle of tithing. I don't know whether a lot of you will have heard of tithing, which is where we take the first 10% of everything that comes in and we give it as an offering to God, rather than just what's left over at the end of the month. Anybody here have anything left over at the end of the month? Abel's attitude was humble, it was trusting. He bought the first lambs, and not just the first, it says the fat of the lambs. Now, for me, if I have bacon and egg, I cut the bit of bacon fat off and leave it on the side. And my boys, who are at the table with me, grab it and eat it. Isn't that disgusting? Disgusting. They like the fat. I don't like the fat. But the fat in the Bible symbolizes the best Abel brought the best of the best of the best. He brought the first and the best as his offering. And it reminds me of that story in the New Testament of this poor widow who just had two tiny little copper coins in her, in her purse, nothing in her savings account. And she put it in the temple treasury. And as she put it in, it would have hardly made any noise at all. It would have gone ding, ding. Nobody would have heard it. And Jesus and his disciples were watching. And Jesus said, look at that woman. And compared with wealthy people who were going past and chucking large amounts in, and it went ding, 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 ding. And everyone looked around, oh, someone's given a large amount. Wow, isn't that impressive? And he was saying, no, she gave everything she had. She gave her security for a meal that evening or food the next day. She trusted God with everything, whereas everyone else was giving out of their ex, out of just, you know, a bit extra. But theirs looked impressive, but hers didn't. And it reminds me of this. Cain brought some, clearly not the first and clearly not the best. Now let's look at the wording in verses four to five. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and on his offering. 
and on Cain, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. First the man, and then the offering. God looks at our hearts. And he looked at Cain's heart, and what he saw in Cain's heart did not bring him joy. What he saw in Abel's heart brought him great joy, because Abel's offering demonstrated faith. And there's this beautiful verse in Hebrews, which is going to pop up on the screen now. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. Abel's heart was humble and pure, and he showed faith. And without faith, we can't please God. But with faith, even the tiniest little bit of faith, God is just so delighted. It's a fragrant offering to him. From the outside, Cain looked like he did a good thing, but God sees the heart. And we can so easily be impressed by appearances, aren't you? You can be impressed by incredible speakers on the stage. Amazing worship leaders. You know, people can look super impressive, can't they, on the outside? But you know what? God sees the heart. He sees the heart. And we can be easily impressed by external stuff. On the outside, if I'd looked at Cain and Abel bringing their offerings, they would have looked the same to me. I wouldn't have been able to differentiate anything between them. Oh, they're both bringing offerings to God. How wonderful. But God sees our hearts. And we can look impressive to others, can't we? We can look godly to others on the outside. We can look very godly in church, can't we? But God sees our hearts and he knows us through and through. Verse 5. Cain was very angry. And his face was downcast. Cain was going through the motions. Abel's was a beautiful, costly, generous offering from his heart. It was sacrificial. It cost him. So Cain is offended. He's angry with God. How dare God not like what I brought to him? God should have accepted my worship. God should dance to my tune. Is it God's glory here Cain is concerned about, or his own glory? His response shows selfishness, self-focus. So not all worship is acceptable to God, even if we like it. Cain obviously thought his offering was perfectly acceptable. What a challenge. Do we demand God likes our particular worship offerings, You know, is it our desire to really bring God glory when we come to him in worship, either on our own or together, or to satisfy our personal likes and dislikes in worship? How many have ever gone home on a Sunday saying, well, they didn't like play any songs that I like today? (laughs) I've done that. Not very often in this church. What if it is worship anyway? Let's just close our eyes, take a moment for a moment, take a moment now to examine our hearts. And as we close our eyes, it might be that even just from the bits we've looked at in the passage today, that we want to just say, Lord, I'm so sorry for any way I've come to you to worship you and not had a right heart. I'm sorry when I've demanded that you do things my way. Just tell him you're sorry. You know, and, and, and Lord, we're sorry for being casual about our worship and giving you scraps of our time or scraps of our money or scraps of our love instead of our best. We're so sorry, Lord. We're so sorry when our hearts have not been right. Please forgive us.
So we're going to go on. And in verses 6 and 7, the Lord speaks to Cain and he asks him why he's angry. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And this is actually really encouraging because he's saying, if we do what is right, however tiny, but with love and a good heart, God sees it and it's acceptable to him. So every little thing that you do from a right heart with love, God sees, even if nobody else sees. And it's a fragrant offering to him. It's pleasing to him. He accepts it. He receives that. It's encouraging. God sees Cain's heart and he loves Cain. God loves Cain. And even here, he's giving Cain an insight into danger. And he gives him, look at this strong warning he gives in in verse 8. Sin is crouching at your door like an animal. It desires to have you, and you, but you must rule over it. It's sort of a picture of a wild animal ready to pounce. And God, in his love, he sees Cain's heart and he knows what's in Cain's heart. But even then, he gives him this opportunity to change. He gives him this warning in his love. Cain, you have a choice. He's saying, Cain, you still have a choice. I see what's in your heart. You still had a choice. You know, there was this, there was this sin crouching at his door. But sadly, Cain doesn't choose what's right, does he? It's so clear. And temptation is from the outside. <laughs> and we have a choice whether we embrace it, indulge it, go with it a little bit. And what's interesting is Cain's anger, his offense with God, that spills over into this jealousy to his brother. He's so blinded by anger that he commits this first terrible murder on earth. Look at the escalation of sin from his parents in chapter 3. Eve was talked into disobedience you know, by the, by the devil. She still had a choice, but the idea hadn't come from her head. And here, this huge escalation of evil. Look at this verse in James 1, James, book of James, chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. This says, and it pops up in a minute, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. There's a progression that we can see. First, there's temptation, and then when we indulge that temptation, which is crouching at our door, we have a choice, don't we? Do we take a second look? Do we fantasize a little bit about indulging in that? gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. It's a frightening verse, and we see that so dramatically here. So he kills his brother. And God calls out this where are you question again that we heard in chapter 3. He asks Cain, where's your brother? In verse 9. And even in this we see God's tenderness. It's such good parenting. God is giving Cain the opportunity to tell him what happened and to confess it and be repentant. Even here we see God's love for Cain. But what did he do instead? Whatever. I don't care. Absolute arrogance. No confession. No repentance. It's so brazen. It's outrageous. Now, I have a lovely little antique coffee table that was my grandmother's, and I love it. It's made of oak, and um, it's quite rustic, but I love it. And one day, when my children were two, four, and six, I saw 
a picture drawn in a sharpie, which is indelible, of a stick, a stick man on my little antique table. Now, my six-year-old, Rebecca, could draw very good people. My two-year-old, Christopher, couldn't hold a pen. So I asked my four-year-old, James, do you know who drew this picture? And he looked me in the eye without flinching and said, Christopher did. (laughs) Bearing in mind, Christopher's the two-year-old. So that showed a little bit of lack of intelligence at that point. He could have blamed his sister, maybe would have got away with it. Where does this come from in us? We have these sweet little newborn babies, don't we? And then by the age of one, there are mini dictators saying no, looking us in the face. Where does it come from? It's in all of us, isn't it? We want to escape... Oh, from the father, apparently. (laughs) It comes from the fathers. We want to escape punishment. We want to escape judgment. We'll say anything to get out of trouble. We're proud and defensive. We find it hard to own up. Cain's reaction is incredible. It's shocking. No repentance. Just self-focus. How could Cain have been like this? Was it a one-off? Had he been a lovely boy all that point, up to that point, and then just decided to murder his brother? Well, let's look at 1 John 3, verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. This is not a one-off. We haven't seen Cain's life up to that point, but it's quite shocking that it's described here as Cain belonged to the evil one. Cain belonged to the evil one. There had been stuff going on in his life before. There had been choices that had gone on where he had not walked with God, where he had not made righteous choices, where he had not honoured God. So he brings this offering to God, but it's actually... He hasn't been living a life that's been honouring to God because you don't jump jump from honouring God to murder in one day, do you? It says he belonged to the evil one, which is a terrifying thought. There was such rebellion in his heart, he actually belonged to the enemy. But even knowing this, God had given him that warning. Even knowing this, he still had free will and he still had the choice not to do it. And let's look at verses 10 to 16 now. The heartbreak of what happened to Abel, the heartbreak, God's heartbreak for the victim, his blood cries out to me. You know, let's be encouraged when we see devastation on the news where we literally are heartbroken like what we've just seen in Malawi and our hearts are just, oh my goodness. The blood of victims cries out to the Lord. He sees injustice. He is the just judge and he will not leave sin unpunished and one day, We can truly trust all the injustices to him. He is the just judge. Cain took a life. I don't know what his punishment should have been. Should it have been death? A life for life? You know, I think what amazes me even more than Cain's outrageous actions is God's mercy to him. It it almost seems on first reading, he gets away with it a bit. He gets off lightly. But does he? Let's look again. So Cain worked the land and grew crops. That was his expertise. That was his area of success and fruitfulness. And the very blood of his brother soaked into the land he farmed, and it brings a curse upon it. Look at this in verse 12. He was driven from the ground. And from that point on, that very ground that had been his area of fruitfulness and success would no longer yield crops to him. 
and not just that, that he would be fruitless the rest of his life, but he would be a restless wanderer. He would never again have peace. Is it such a getting away with it after all? To never be spiritually fruitful the rest of your life and never have peace? I don't really understand the bit about the mark on him that people can't kill him, but I do wonder whether that is going to prevent anyone from cutting. This is my own thoughts, you know. I wonder if that mark prevented anyone from cutting his life short so that he would have a full opportunity to be able actually to come to repentance. I don't know. There's God's mercy, there's God's love for the victim, and there's God's mercy for the sinner as well. And this is where there's a challenge for us. Any unrepented stuff in our hearts prevents an anointing of God on our spiritual fruitfulness. What was Cain's main sin? (laughs) It was quite a list, really. Pride, wasn't there? Jealousy, hatred, rebellion to God. Maybe that sums it all up, rebellion to God. When Tom preached three weeks ago, his definition of sin, S-I-N, can you remember it? S, shove off God, I, I'm in charge, N, no to your rules. And we see that here, don't we? But in contrast, look at Abel's life. A beautiful, humble heart, trusting God, trusting God as his provider, putting him first with all his resources. True faith and true worship from a pure heart. And all of these things allow the anointing of God, bring the anointing of God on our lives to be fruitful for God for eternity, spiritually fruitful, and that we have peace. When we're selfish, when we're unrepentant, when we're proud, when we're offended, offended. Anyone here ever get offended? I'm sure none of you do. When we get offended, and you know, how come that person's being blessed? Look at them, why I being blessed? And their blessing, maybe that takes away from my blessing, this jealousy. How come that person seems to have success? And blessing, and I don't, you know, this jealousy, this stuff in our hearts. It blocks our spiritual fruitfulness for God. And it, and it robs us of peace, the peace that Jesus won for us on the cross, he wants us to have. But how many of you found, when you confess stuff to God, that beautiful peace floods in again, doesn't it? It floods in again. When our hearts are hard, <clears throat> I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to bless that person. You know, there's that distance from God. But when we have a soft heart and we ask God to help us and we confess our sin, that peace floods back in. There isn't that restlessness in our spirit anymore. So we're going to ask the Lord to search our hearts now. And I've just put these two questions here. Lord, Am I holding any jealousy or hatred in my heart towards someone else? And this other question, is there anything, any sin that I've covered over and not confessed to you, Lord? So let's just take a moment and let's just ask the Lord those questions. And if the answer is yes to either of them, work with him, work with him. Invite him to help you. His Holy Spirit is here to help you, to help us forgive Let's take a moment now. Lord, I confess my sin to you. Please forgive me and wash me clean.
help me to remember my battle is not against other people, but against the devil. I'm so sorry, Lord, when I've had a wrong attitude to others and a wrong attitude to worship and not giving you the best of my time or my money or my love. Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. Let me have that heart of Abel that still speaks. Help me to trust you with everything. I want to be fruitful for you, Jesus.